Up next, Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Stay tuned. Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today is October the 26th, 2004, and at this time next week, next Tuesday, oh, all hell may break loose. We see, of course, that the Emperor is buck naked. Uh, (laughs) Anybody ready to vote? Yes, for the naked man, I... I have tried all week to find something, something to um, give us all some courage. Uh, I'm afraid the quote of the day I got from George Orwell, I found it in the newspaper, the Anderson Valley Advertiser. Uh, uh, George Orwell wrote that the object of waging a war is always to be in a better position to wage another war. Uh Kind of frightening, isn't it, folks? Yes, uh, I had a, a whole, a whole, um, bevy of material here on Iran, which I think I will save. Somehow this election seems to be taking over everything in my psyche. I wake up at four o'clock in the morning listening to something on the radio. I was just going to mention, uh, sometimes I get calls from people asking me for help as if I knew anything. All I was going to say is, if you're really stuck, you know, if you have a problem, say, with local issues, you can check your Bay Guardian newspaper. Find a newspaper you trust. Uh, the Anderson Valley Advertiser has a lot of suggestions. This issue, let's see, what issue have I got in front of me? This is the October 20th issue. And would you believe... Um, I'm so proud of the New Yorker magazine. For the first time in its history, the New Yorker has endorsed a presidential candidate. Uh, that would be John Kerry, the Democratic choice for president. It is true, folks. Uh, it is true that John Kerry is not perfect, not like you and I uh, or Ralph Nader, you know, but uh, he will certainly do. He will do for now. Uh I watched Bill Clinton so thin and frail trying to uh trying to come to the party and help out um gave me a pang they're going to kill Bill but that's old news that's old news uh I listened to uh Noam Chomsky on C-SPAN this weekend and of course Noam Chomsky thinks in centuries like the pope 
and he and Amy Goodman were there at um, uh, Boston University with some other authors, James Carroll, the guy who wrote An American Requiem, and uh, Michael Clare, who wrote Blood and Oil, and uh, let's see, James Carroll also wrote Crusade, Chronicles of an Unjust War. Anyway, Chomsky, of course, said that it would take about five minutes to assess the election and uh, make the decisions, and then you should go on to more important issues, of course. Uh, but the other folks seem to be uh, deeply concerned about the symbolism. Uh, you remember something called the Reagan Revolution. Chomsky pointed out that we should always keep in mind that this is not about individuals, not about John Kerry or George W. Bush, the men, but about two groups. He called them groups. I like to call them tribes, um, the neocons, as opposed to... Um, I guess we'll just call them Democrats this year. Uh, oh, how I miss Bill Clinton and Monica. That seems almost sane to me looking back now. Uh, in any case, in any case, uh, next Tuesday, do I need to remind you to go to the polls and to do everything you can to persuade all of your friends to go to the polls? Uh, I found something to cheer me up this week. I found Elizabeth Edwards, the wife of the vice presidential candidate, John Edwards. Where has she been? I was astonished. I watched her for an hour and a half on C-SPAN answering questions at the Downey School in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. There she was in a crowded auditorium. Uh, I didn't notice three big guys um checking it out, but uh, it was extremely informal. She just had a hand mic there, and like a school teacher in a noisy assembly, she talked to um, the audience. She talked fast and furiously, and she had more information at her fingertips than I've heard from any one of the candidates um, throughout this entire year. She calls herself a recovering lawyer. Her command of the facts is breathtaking, Thus far, I've only seen her as this um, mom person, you know, there on the platform with John Edwards and the kids. Uh, Elizabeth Edwards tackled every question head on. I hadn't quite realized that the presidential candidates had said absolutely nothing thus far. Uh, uh, she, um, uh, she spun things carefully, but she did do what I would call, uh, she, she, she gave information, uh, uh, we know that the presidential candidates, that their task is, first of all, to make no mistake. Yes, that's the patriarchal order of the day. Never drop your script. Use the stump speech. Uh, the people who came to hear Elizabeth Edwards uh, were surprised, enthusiastic. I heard people saying, well, why don't you run for president? Uh, it occurred to me that uh, she might be uh, and the ideal. My favorite, of course, is... Um, you know, running the country like a mom-and-pop shop. Uh, she seemed to know or to have plans uh, to correct the military morass in Iraq. Uh, she suggested that the NATO, um, NATO train Iraqi soldiers outside the country. You know, train them outside the country before deploying them in Iraq. Um, 
she had a, a number of ideas for jobs and for uh, serious reconstruction inside the country. Um, plans that would empower the Iraqi citizens themselves. Apparently, uh, many of our U.S. contractors are just hiring Southeast Asian workers before the locals. Uh, as we know, that the plan inside Iraq is an altogether counterproductive scene just at present. Uh, the military-industrial complex um, is doing everything it can to create ever more resistance and insurrection. Couldn't be much worse, folks. When she finished speaking, Elizabeth Edwards was swamped, uh, particularly by women. They all wanted to hug her, and I heard them all saying that they wished the presidential debates could be open, like this one. Um, an African-American boy, about ten, asked her why the children can't vote, and she said that her children wore T-shirts that said, I can't vote, so it's your job to take care of me and vote for the things that will affect my life, uh, something to that effect anyway. I couldn't help looking into the faces of the men in the audience. Uh, they were all ages, colors, types, yes, Pennsylvania. With few exceptions, these men seemed to be listening, listening to this woman with rapt attention. Some were even taking notes. So much information delivered so fast, so direct, so straightforward. Uh, I understood the Cary Health Plan for the first time. Her economic an analysis was awesome. Uh, if she is the first lady in eight years, I predict, yes, she might just run this country. <laughs> like any sensible mom would. Yes, the people first, the prophet second. You know how it is. We have to uh, tell these guys to uh, get over themselves, you know. Do your best. Get over yourself. Governing a modern nation is not about your manhood, guys. It is about cultivating a world garden. It is about growing a social order that lessens suffering on the planet, that manifests its spiritual power through acts. As John Kerry says, faith without works is dead. Uh, of course, faith without works is the Bush doctrine. Um, you know, they have the leave no child behind program and then they don't fund it. Um, uh, of course, uh, putting our money and our hearts to work uh, is the solution to the problem. If we rock the vote next Tuesday, we may just manage that. Uh, I find it fascinating uh, at this point in history to know that we are, what is that, we're about to make a U-turn. Uh, I know that all problems will not be solved and that, of course, after the election, there will still be uh, blue eyes and pizza and our friends and lovers, and we mustn't be too upset. We must try to be good Zen Buddhists. Uh, because no matter what happens, uh, the work is just beginning. Um, I do think it's possible that all hell will break loose. Several people asked Elizabeth Edwards what she thought would happen uh, if riots broke out in the United States following the elections. Uh, she was conciliatory about this and talked about uh, bipartisanship, that kind of thing, about bringing people together. The candidates are still talking about fear, all the stump speeches out there. Uh, the Bush boys have put forward advertisements showing wolves, wolves prowling in a forest, apparently. Yeah, this is the description of what's going to happen 
if we get a, 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 a Democrat in the White House. I, I love that stuff. I'm a student of folklore and fairy tales, and I love things that appeal to the lowest chakras. Uh, most of us will remember FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, telling us that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And, of course, as Bill Clinton said last night on a stump speech, quoting FDR once more, if, you know, you're riding uh, the the horse, if you're on the horse uh, uh, that we're on at the present moment, uh, you better get off or we'll all drown. Yes, the midstream image. Uh, I think... Um, most of us have heard enough cliches for this season. If I ask myself what my deepest fear is, uh, I think Granny D expressed the same thought. I'd have to tell you honestly that I am much more afraid of state terrorism. Uh, I'm afraid of messianic males who talk to God and rule nuclear nations. Uh, I'm more afraid of them than I am of the Osama bin Ladens or... Uh, of any global network of freelance or guerrilla terrorists, but of course I could be wrong. I could be very wrong. I, like so many of us, were stunned. We were stunned by that 9-11-2001 uh, hit. I was not surprised, I have to say, but I would have to admit that I was shaken to realize that the chickens had come home to roost, that our foreign policy had poisoned enough men to inspire that horrific hit. Uh, if men are willing to die, there's not much you can do. I think that security is probably an illusion. Um, I think that we must fight the battle for hearts and minds, that kind of thing. Uh, when naive Americans asked, why do they hate us? I learned again how quickly history fades, at least for those who are in power, the winners, so-called, one of the reasons why they hate us is, of course, because so many of us have forgotten why they hate us, if we have knew. I am old enough to remember the CIA coup in 1953. I certainly didn't understand it, but uh, I was there. I remember um, getting the gist of things. Uh, Iran, the Shah, it was all gossip among my then-in-laws. By the late 50s, most of the people I knew had accepted the role of the United States. Uh, we pretended to be benefactors. Of course, um, I think my in-laws knew better, especially my mother-in-law, but my children's paternal grandfather was an engineer. He worked for Standard Oil. Uh, he was over there in Saudi Arabia, and his views were strictly paternal. He thought that we were doing the Middle East a favor. <laughs> yes, that Mossadegh, you know, uh, he wanted to nationalize uh, the oil in Iran. We can't have that. Uh, of course, the British were mixed in. It's all, uh, it's all a lot of uh, ancient history now. And like so many Americans, you know, after World War II, most of us just saw ourselves or the United States and Europe as benign and civilizing influences. Um, my children's grandfather had obvious contempt for what he saw as backward peoples. Um, 
It was obvious that he looked down on them. Uh, the technology that he brought to the locals there in Saudi Arabia, he acted as if he were giving fire to early man. I wonder if this kind of arrogance, this kind of um, Eurocentric or Amerocentric thinking has really changed at all in the last half century. All this talk we hear about how we can create a democracy, a democratic society, <laughs> can't even create a police force. This is overweening pride and arrogance, hubris. And every time I look at the current catastrophe in Iraq, I can't help just screaming and tearing my hair, asking how could you, you know, what were you thinking uh, John Kerry, I heard this morning, I was listening again to the radio, apparently. He is willing to acknowledge that it might help if we had some some people in the military and in the government who spoke Arabic, you know, the sort of thing. Oh, every step of the way, a new disaster. I, I noticed that Bush, um, at every time someone disagreed with him, anyone in the administration, uh, Anyone in Iraq on the ground who uh, contradicted his uh, plans was immediately fired. I just, I, I'm confused about uh, the ways in which such incompetence can persist and go unpunished, uh, the unaccountability. All I can do is pity the people, pity the people there and here, and I have pity and dread uh, for our own children, for our grandchildren, for all those of us who will have to live in a world that these men are creating today. Talk about the chickens coming home to roost. Um, I think you know how it is. Um, the uh, presidential election has pushed masses of people to either side of this argument uh, to commit either to a, uh, a future, a future in which the United States will try, try to live among the nations or whether it will try to dominate and be uh, the new empirical power on the planet. Uh, uh, the fight is on. The dog fight is the terrifying thing, of course. Uh, I haven't found it to be uh, as frightening as I thought. Uh, I keep wondering what people see when they look. I wondered this for years when we had uh, Ronald Reagan in office. Uh, I think it's emblematic, uh, the psychology we're seeing here. Apparently, a lot of Americans do identify with George W. Bush, with his adolescent psychology, his responses, uh, his use of fear, uh, you know, he is a conquering hero one moment and a suffering martyr the next. It's the sort of behavior I became very familiar with when I was a uh, middle school teacher. You know, uh, 13, 14-year-old boys. His world is limited by his emotional immaturity and by the utter absence of any curiosity about how the world works. We know that the word idiot has been defined as someone who cannot see, you know, beyond his private existence. An idiot is a totally private 
solipsistic or narcissistic person, uh, someone without a concern for the public good, uh, like Ronald Reagan, George W. Bush, lives in uh, uh, a private fantasy place, kind of, you know, uh, Reagan was in a movie. Uh, the idiot can only experience his own village. Yes, the village idiot. His frame of reference does not include the experience of the billions of souls all around the globe whose lives he is in a position to alter at will. I was watching the daughters, the twin daughters of George Bush on C-SPAN last weekend, and they are, of course, adorable airheads. They had little set stump speeches. They recited them. Yes, received knowledge. Cute as bunnies. Terrifying in their oblivious and coy presentation. Uh, they had memorized their slogans to please the crowd. They were um, uh, adorable. They, they kept talking about what, what Barbara Bush, their grandmother, would say, you know. Uh, they, they were, what is it, uh, completely familial. I'm sure millions of Americans could identify. Uh, to me, they were like unripe fruit. I couldn't help thinking of a line from Oscar Wilde's play, The Importance of Being Earnest. I played old Lady Bracknell once many years ago. Uh, Lady Bracknell talks about the fact that education in England produces no effect whatsoever. <laughs> Which, she points out, is fortunate, yes, because if it did, you know, it would doubtless lead to acts of violence in Grosvenor Square. I've always remembered her wonderful line, she says, Ignorance is like a delicate, exotic fruit. Touch it, and the bloom is gone. I thought, what would happen to those twins if they were magically picked up and... Uh, lifted into a, a village in a third-world country and asked to live there for a year and be part of that world. Uh, I've always thought that adolescent education should involve world travel, uh, living the lives of others, being put in the position uh, where you have no resources, where uh, you have to deal with what we call reality. I've been thinking lately of Ronald Reagan Jr. and the other Reagan children. A number of them have seen the light. They have uh, uh, come in contact with reality. And their discomfort and their pain is evident. Um, their joy, their, <laughs> their innocence is spoilt. Yes, of course they love their father, and yet they have come to recognize the ways in which he, Reagan, like George W., was recruited recruited by the far right to be the PR man for uh, the movement, the so-called Republican Revolution, the happy guy, the uh, apple-cheeked, smiling man, the true believer. Uh, yes, a man may smile and smile and be a villain. The true believer whose simplistic and selfish goals are the same goals as those of the fiscal thieves who promote the crony capitalism that is destroying our nation. The establishment needs these regular guys, uh, you know, these barroom buddies, the grinning idiots, so to speak, 
the jolly good fellow with the sweet wife and adorable children. And this man must be sincere, as George W. clearly is, as Anne Richards told us. Uh, I thought he was just another pragmatic politician, but Anne Richards told us, no, that he was a true believer. This, I thought, you know, he was using the religion to get votes. He he worked that angle for his father at one point. Uh, Reagan was very clever that way. Uh, but it seems that both these men uh, talked themselves into their messianic roles. They even spoke of the rapture. Reagan, when near his own death, recalled his youthful role as a lifeguard. For seven summers as a youth, Ronald Reagan saved 77 lives. That's where he went emotionally, there at the end. Always a conquering hero in his own eyes. What was good for him was good for all of us, good for the whole nation. Completely solipsistic and self-centered. So too this present uh, gang group in the White House and their constituents. Uh, let's face it. As my father told me, oh, half a century ago, uh, the American, the North American political philosophy might well be summed up in the phrase, to hell with you, Jake, we got ours. Now, I know that that pack of wolves does exist. But I also know that along with that culture, that culture of cruelty and avarice, there is at least an equal number of folks who form the culture of compassion. More than 50 years ago in 1949, I remember I had a civics teacher in Laguna Beach. I think I've talked about him before. He visits me now in dreams. He told the class that the apathy of voters was not all to the bad because he said when things got tough, the tough got going. And the underclass, he said, the underclass could rise up and activate itself and pull the country back to a more democratic place. <laughs> I keep thinking of him today wondering what he would say if he could see the division of wealth in the United States. Ninety billion dollars is what Bush ripped off to give to the rich. Ninety billion dollars that could have saved uh, the children of this nation. The obscene irresponsibility of these men at the top, these billionaire Benedict Arnolds, as Ted Kennedy calls them, these rich people who now seem to have no country, no nation, they are a global tribe. <laughs> Russia has apparently the cruelest contrasts of all. If that isn't ironic, I don't know what is. Uh, fellowship and community were once the subject or the content of what we called a liberal education. That word liberal now has come back to haunt us. The liberal ideal of a great society has been mentioned in the speeches of presidents past and perhaps in the present and the future. This concept of the general welfare, the greatest good for the greatest number, 18th century philosophers expressed those thoughts. The purpose of education once was liberation. Civilization is not a frill, scholars and thinkers leave. 
that if you tenderize the young, if you teach a little truth and beauty, aesthetics can be the mother of ethics. An ugly world is an unpleasant place to live. How much more pleasure is there in the warmth and the love of our neighbors in all the things bright and beautiful? I hear everyone freeze now. Remember Matthew Arnold's essay on sweetness and light. Remember how the horrors of the 20th century made such thoughts seem silly and sentimental and unrealistic. I wonder, even in ages and times when life is as grim as it is today, love is as perennial as the grass. As Charlotte Bronte wrote, nothing refines like affection. Let us hope that there's a little affection in the air Tuesday, next Tuesday at this time. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20 and next week on Monday I'll be on with Denny Smithson. I'll be on both Monday and Tuesday at 3.30 and we'll try to talk some sense about what's happening today. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till then, go easy and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Hello, this is Michael Franch from Spearhead. Public and community radio stations are an important way for the voice of the people to be heard. There has never been a more important time for all of us to be heard than today. It's for this reason that I encourage you to get out and vote this year and continue supporting community and public radio for years to come. Peace. Coming up this November 13, 2004 at the Henry J. Kaiser Convention Center in Oakland, thousands of music 